It's a joy to be with you. My name is Kevin Carson. I have the privilege of serving Christ as the Department Chair of Biblical Counseling at Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary, as well as I pastor Sunrise Baptist in Ozark, Missouri, and have been doing biblical counseling since the late 90s. Uh, and certainly the role of the husband and wife, which we're going to be talking about the husband's role now, these are critical, this is a critical issue to think through as it relates to counseling, generally, as well as as it relates to life. I am a husband. Uh, I am a husband, so it applies to me. And I'm a granddad. It applies on that level, right? On multiple levels, it applies. Uh, and so that's the goal of uh, even as I teach, I don't teach as a perfect husband. Uh, there's only Stuart Scott wrote the, well, no, Martha wrote the excellent wife, right? So Stuart wrote uh, the exemplary husband. I haven't written a book on being a good husband. Uh, my wife might say that I've helped her write one on being a patient wife. So let's let's pray. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would give us wisdom as we think this hour about the husband's role, a critical area, uh, no doubt. And we just we want you to be honored in our lives and in the lives of our counselees uh, in every way. And in in the home, this is for sure a significant way. As we do premarital counseling and pre-engagement and postmarital and conflict and all those various things lord may we use these notes well for the glory of god in jesus name amen so it's two there are two important reasons why it says in your notes there that we can that we want to cover this material first we will do more marriage counseling than anything else in counseling and two it's a good place to apply the principles personally and i've just basically mentioned those to you a minute ago Let's give you three roles specifically, three words that help describe the husband's role. Get this button right here. And we're going to be working through these throughout our time together. The first one is learner. The second one is lover. And the third one is leader. We're going to use those three words, learner, lover, and leader, and kind of summarize what the Bible teaches in relationship to the role of of the husband. Let's begin then with learner, and we're going to use First Peter chapter three verse seven. You probably are familiar with this text. It's in the section of Peter that where he's talking about God gives us enabling grace that allows us to live life in a way that honors Him. And in this particular portion in First Peter uh, three verse seven. He says to husbands, husbands likewise dwell with them, the them would be the wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of this life, that your prayers may not be hindered. A couple of things uh, that we need to understand related to this particular issue of being a learner as a husband. Here's the first one. It is a command. It's a command. Right? The world says. 
<coughs> you can't understand women. And thankfully, men, the Bible says that we don't have to understand women. We just have to understand one. If you're married, there's only one person you have to understand. Not even your mother-in-law. Or your own mother. Now, it helps. If you get a little bit of wisdom, it helps. But certainly, there's only one person the Bible says that we're supposed to learn, and that is our wife, and that is a command. Right? Understand. Dwell with her with understanding. Right? It's important. What do we know about that command? Well, it's a command that takes time. Many assume... That they know all there is to know about their spouse when they marry. I do a lot of premarital. I work at a Bible college. But soon they find out that neither one of them know as much as they first thought they did. Right? It takes time. It needs to be well underway during premarital. Right? As we begin the premarital process, we want to help them begin to know each other. It needs to continue during early marriage. Right? We, I often have them, one of the, one of the uh, homework assignments I give them in pre-marriage and I encourage them during their first year is to every other week, the husband chooses a place in the wife, the husband, wife, husband, wife, and throughout the whole year, pick a date every week, set, a, set aside a time and the husband's responsible week one, the wife week two, the husband week three, the wife week, wife week four. Uh, and go somewhere. And then I give them, during premarital, I give them the instructions for the date. So like sometimes I'll say, okay, so you're in charge this week. And I don't want you to spend any money on the date. It has to be at least two hours long. And that two hours can't be, a date isn't watching a movie. Or watching TV. or some, It needs to be something where you're interacting with each other. And so, some weeks I give them a $5 limit. Some weeks I give them a... Right, if you have enough money, you can... Dates can be very creative. So I want to force them to be creative without money. Right, to think of it uh, and do things that are helpful. And so I want them to start that in premarital. We're going to do it while... We're going to continue it during that first year. But to be honest, it has to be continued during the middle marriage years and the sunset years. We all need to be learning our wives. Every husband's responsible for it. I, there's a joke in my home. It was one summer day. I ran inside. That We stopped somewhere to grab some fuel. I ran inside. It was a convenience store. They had a wonderful deal. They had a big a big bucket of ice there, just uh, the small cube, not cube, but the like sonic ice. And it, you could just tell the drinks were beautiful and cold. And, and they were root. I love root beer. It was fresh root beer. And it was all there. And so I grabbed the bottle. I went out to the car. I sat down. And my wife's sitting there. She was waiting for me. And I said, hey, would you like to have a drink of this root beer? I didn't buy two. Probably should have bought two. That would have been the first good move, but I didn't do that. So when I get, she wasn't beside me. So when I get to the car, I think, oh yeah, I better, I better see if she wants a drink. And so she simply said, rather than no, she simply asked this question. How many years do we need to be married before you remember that I don't like root beer? 
Oh, that's a good question. Uh, and the answer is, from that day on, I've remembered it. So when I want to get a smile, I will offer her root beer. Just to remind her that I still remember one thing. Um, one of the exam- one of the suggestions, Lou Priolo, which is a biblical counselor made years ago, he said every man ought to have a book on his wife. Right, a journal. What I do for my uh, premarital counselees, I have the man begin a, a note on his phone. And usually on this, uh, if you have, depending on which app you use, you can usually title it different, right? If you pick up my phone and you open it, if for some reason it's open, you should not see all of Kevin notes about Kelly, right? It ought to not be that clear. I don't think my children could find it on my phone. Why? Because it's just for me and it's stuff. So if my wife says, oh, man, I love that color. What color? I'm interested in knowing that. Or if she if I hear her say her shoe size, that's in my little notes. Why? Because I'm not going to remember her shoe size. Not that I hear lots of people's shoe sizes, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay in my head. Right. If she says this is the size sweaters I like to buy or this is. I'm jotting that stuff down. Why? Because I don't remember it. I'm a true blonde. Right? That could be part of it. At least I say it's part of it. But I don't remember those things. So I'm going to do what I need to do in order to remember it. And that's for me writing a note. I think that's great advice from Lou Priolo. I've used it for years. And there's stuff in there. She knows where it is. She has permission to look at it. uh, But she will never look at it. Right? I just, I know her. And I wouldn't want her to look through them anyway. So I have dates that are important to remember. I put those things on my calendar as well. Give them an annual reminder so that they come up when they're supposed to come up. A week ahead reminder so that I remember. Right, All of those things. Why? Because I need to understand her. And that's going to take time. And as we spend time together, we need to do that. It takes study. You can jot down there. Yours just says a command that takes study. You can just write down the letters I-O-U. I-O-U stands for interview, observe, and understand. Interview, observe, and understand. In the notes that I have printed for you, I believe on page 5 and 6, pages 5 and 6, you'll find 50 questions to ask your spouse. Now, you could take it as a quiz. A good friend of mine, I won't tell you who it is because you may have heard of him. He and his wife were, it's a national known speaker. He and his wife were at this particular conference and they were doing a newlywed game. And so right in that game, if they have you sit down and they ask her the same set of questions they ask you and you jot them down and then you compare your answers. So she was off stage and they asked him and uh, no, pardon me. She was on stage first. She he was off stage and she wrote all of her answers and then it was his turn, and he came in and so he said, so what's her favorite restaurant, top three restaurants? And so he said, oh, this, this, and this. That's easy. Right in his mind, he thought, oh, that's easy. Well, then his wife had three answers. None of them were the same. 
Total separate answers. Now, these, they had been married for years. They had adult children. And he is a prolific writer and has written about being a good husband. <laughs> and so that was a little bit embarrassing. And so he doesn't say anything, of course. You can't make a scene on the stage. So he, later at the hotel, he says to his wife, uh, I noticed that our answers were different. What was, what was going on in there, right? That didn't make sense to me. And she says, well, those aren't my favorite restaurants. He said, that's where we've gone. Every time we go, that's where we go out to eat. And she said, I know, because when you say, hey, let's go out to eat. And I say, well, let's go wherever you want to go. And you've never said, well, where, what are your favorites? Where do you want to go? So for their entire marriage, they had gone to his top three. And they had never gone to her top three. Why? Because he just didn't, he didn't ask, right? He didn't know. So, right, I'll tell stories about him rather than tell stories about myself. (laughs) But there are 50 questions there. Those are great questions. Great questions. I wouldn't ask them all at the same time. But you could sprinkle in one here and there. So we want to interview, observe, and understand. Just a couple things about interview before we move on. Right, have you ever sat in a restaurant and just watched couples? If you've been married any time at all. Right, That's there's a new commercial. Is it a Geico commercial that says don't become like your parents? Right, that, uh, yeah, progressive. Okay, yeah, there's a commercial about don't become like your parents. This is one of those ways. I've, I have heard people say, oh, that looks like a newlywed couple. Or that looks like they're dating. Or they look like they've been married a while. Why? Because they're just eating. And they're just staring at each other and eating. Right? It's just like, oh, wow, you can see the joy. It just exudes <laughs> right off of them. Until you realize, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, this other couple, they're smiling, looking right in each other's eyes. And you're like, oh, they're not married. How do you know? Well, just look at them. They're enjoying each other. Right? What, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> Have you ever driven for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, and realized, boy, we've hardly said a word? Right? Great opportunities. Unless she's sleeping. But great opportunities to, to just ask good questions. Right? To interview. Uh, right? When you were dating, it seemed like you couldn't get enough questions in. It was just constant conversation. They would just bubble up. And I think those 50 questions may help you there a little bit. Um, what about observe? Right? It said I-O-U. Observe is the second one. Right? Perhaps you observe her while she's shopping. What does she pick up? I'd, you know, one of the things I observe, we share the same Amazon account. And so my wife, the way she likes to... She shops in person the same way she shops on Amazon. And so she and her mom, it's something her mom taught her and the, her sisters, they call, they de-shop. So they shop and look at all the stuff they want and they put it in their basket and they'll kind of get in one spot, kind of off to the side. And before they go to the register, they'll decide, okay, this is what I really want and this is what I don't want. And they de-shop is what they call it. Well, she does the same thing with Amazon, right? So I can go to our cart and it's full of stuff. Well, sometimes I just hit purchase and I buy all kinds of stuff she doesn't want, right? She's sending it all back. Well, why was it in our cart? Just looking at it. 
Just thinking about it. Just smelling it. All that good stuff. Hey, this is electronic, right? How do you do this? So, reality is, you start paying attention. Well, what is she looking at? What are the kinds of things? Right? So, you're making observations. Sometimes you might ask a question. Uh, Does your wife like white gold rings or yellow gold? What kind of gold does she like? Sometimes you can just look at what she wears often and know what she likes. Questions like, what outfit did your wife have on yesterday? Do you have any idea if you're a husband? Possibly a boyfriend would, but most husbands would not. When's the last time your wife got her hair cut? Or you could even think, some men wouldn't even be able to answer the question, what length is your wife's hair right now? Right, just because... You see her every day. I don't think about how long her hair is. Or somebody doesn't. Not me, of course. But somebody doesn't. What color is her hair today? Right? Some people, <laughs> the hair changes a lot. Now, there's some harder question. What makes her most joyful? Right? The good, humble husband says, well, spend time with me, of course. That's what makes her joyful. How do you know when she's tired? How do you know when she's discouraged? So observe. What about understand? Right? So what helps your wife tick or get ticked? Right? (laughs) Both of those things. Both of those are good words. Right? What's her point of view? What's her perspective on child rearing? uh, It took me a while to figure it out. I would work during the day and whether it was I was doing pastor work or seminary work, it does. It kind of all fits in one bucket and. Uh, I would come home and our kids were small. And when I came home, I would have lots of energy. And so my wife's been with the kids all day long. And maybe there are projects they still need to do. But when I would come home, it would be like, well, what are we going to do now? I live near Branson, Missouri. Shall we go to Branson? We're just 20 minutes up the road from Branson. And there's tons of fun stuff to do there. Get season passes. Shall we go to Silver Dollar City? VeggieTales is there. right? All these things. And... One day I realized, I don't know that she enjoys me playing as much as I do. Right? I get home and the whole family has to get into an uproar because I haven't observed what else is going on. And so I, we started talking about it. And she says, yeah, it would be nice if you figured out what we were doing before you asked if we want to go play something. Why? Because I had one idea on my mind. Let's go have fun with the kids when she had been in the trenches all day. And she may have a lot of other things on her mind. Right? Would your wife say you really, really understand her? 75% of the time? 50%? Right, what would that be? 10%? Right, there's an interesting book that I have at the seminary in my library. And the book is called, it's a pretty thick book, but it's called What Men Know About Women. And when you open it up, all the pages are blank. It is not that much. All right, let's look at the next thing. It's a command to treat her as fragile. Right, the word fragile in the text here, it just simply means valuable. Someone has described this fragile vessel or weaker vessel as a mink dynasty vase. 
right? It's something that's worth a lot of money, right? There's some dishes in our house that's third generation dishes. That's usually not what we're handing our 10 year old. You know, those are used in special occasions. We treat those dishes that are from a couple of generations ago. We treat them differently than everything else. Right? It just depends, right? We want to, some things are more valuable. And I would say we ascribe value to them. We have some dishes that have a chip on them. But I remember as a kid eating out of those dishes at my grandma's house. And so my mother gave them to my wife and said, hey, he used to eat out of these at his grandma's house. I bet he would like them. Now you look at it and you say, well, what's this old piece of chipped uh what is this piece of chip? Uh, I think it's a plate or sauce or whatever you call it. And you say, this has no value. But to me, it does because it has so many memories with it. Right, so I ascribe value to it. And I also treat it as something that's valuable. Right, so with our wives, we ascribe value. And we do that because they are. Right, it's certainly true in the Bible and it should be true in the way that we live. So we want to treat them as valuable. Letter C. Learning affects your spiritual life. Her problems become your problems. At times even it says that if you handle this well. Your prayers will not be hindered. Psalm 66.18. It says if you regard sin. It in the heart, the Lord does not hear you. Right? If I have sin that I cherish, the Lord doesn't listen. Why? Because it's broken our fellowship on my part. Right? It's cherishing sin. And so the idea here is if you are not treating your wife correctly, if you're not learning her and trying to live with her in a way that honors the Lord... It certainly can affect both of you spiritually. Number two. How about a lover? Lover. There's a couple of passages, of course, but Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 is a good one. Husband, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and given himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her. With the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives, their own wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see she respects her husband. Right? It's the idea of love. The question we would ask is, what is love? Right? Of course, the answer is giving as Christ gave. There's no doubt. American culture doesn't help us define love. Right? The world's view, really it's a, sim, uh, a synonym for romantic feelings. 
I think a lot of us, either implicitly or explicitly, are influenced by the hallmark sense of romantic love. Right, a spark, and it's not just Hallmark, but that's certainly one place. It's the spark, it's the thing, it's that feeling. When the word is used in context other than romantic feeling, it's still closed with feeling-oriented concepts. That's the world's view, but what's the biblical view? The biblical view is much different. Look at these key texts. John 3.16, what? For God so loved the world that he... Gave, right? Certainly, loving is giving. In Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. It's giving. In Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Any sense, any way that we define love, any sense of our thought of love outside of giving or outside of action is less than Christ-like love. I think Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it's not in your notes, you have to add it. But in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Clearly, it relates to love. Look at this comparison. And in a room this large, you can't read these. I'll read them to you. On the left side, it says worldly love. In fact, what I'll try to do, I will put these on my blog in the morning. And so you can grab these off the blog. If you want them, you're welcome to them. That's kevincarson.com. Worldly love on the left side says love is a feeling. Godly love, love is an action. Love is all about me or love is about those around me. Love is based on what you've done for me or love is unconditional. Love is a phase, temporary, or love is a commitment. Love is about getting, or love is about giving. Love is about receiving, or love is about serving. Love is about sex, or love is about physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. Love focuses on getting my own needs met. Or godly love, love focuses on meeting the needs of those around me. Love withers in conflict, where godly love works through conflict. Love is bitter in the world where love is forgiving. Love gets stuck in the past where love moves forward godly. Love is about hiding and covering up where love is about transparency. Love is about suspicion. Biblically, love is about trust. Love is about blame. The Bible teaches love is about responsibility. Love is about anxiety. The Bible teaches love is about peace. Right? The sense of biblical love is just the exact opposite of worldly love. Again, I'll try to get those put up tomorrow for you. So what degrees of love are we to show? Let me just give you a quick list. We can't spend long on all of these. We'll talk through several. 
But when we say we're supposed to love like Christ and love is giving, well, then what are some ways we can discuss love? What are degrees? Let me give you the number one is first. That's the degree. First John 419 says we love him because he first loved us. Another word you could use for a degree would be most. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So love most. Love sacrificially. We just read the passage. But he gave himself. That's sacrificial love. I love to talk through these in wedding ceremonies. To help a husband think through it even publicly. For sure in premarital. How about unmistakably? 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Don't just say you love her, but in deed and in truth. Love her with action. Love her with integrity. How about in spite of her faults? Romans 5.8, you know this one. But God commends his love toward us in what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ demonstrated his love even with our faults. Love her as your own body. We'll talk about this more in a minute. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. So husbands love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. Again, We'll help you think through those in a minute. How about as a selfless servant? Certainly Jesus did that, didn't he? In John 13, verses 1 through 15, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Knowing that Judas is going to betray him, Jesus still washes his feet and put him, let him, lets him sit in the seat of honor in the meal. So Jesus... Certainly loved as a selfless servant. No one suspected from Christ's love that Judas would ever do anything against him. Number eight, not based on her performance. I mentioned this a minute ago. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You might just jot down beside that law versus grace. If you think somehow that your spouse is ever going to earn your law, earn your love, pardon me, you're in for a miserable marriage. Right? It's based on grace. Number nine, volitionally, volitional love. I think you could also jot down John 3.16 for volitional. In Ephesians 1, as well as in John 3, God chose. It was a choice he made. How about intense love for her? Well, Ephesians 5, 2, that sounds pretty intense when it says he loved her, gave him, he loved, gave himself an offering and a sacrifice. Right? That's pretty intense. Ephesians 5, 25, of course, Just like Christ loves the church, he gave himself. An unending love for her, John 13. says, now before the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world 
to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He never stopped loving. And what a beautiful passage in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to keep separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unending love. Can you imagine if some marriages had intense love and unending love? The difference it would make? How about unselfish love? Philippians 2. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men. Purposeful love. Right? It's a choice that's made. A choice in the Ephesians text that he will sanctify, cleanse, present her to himself a glorious church. Holy and without blemish. It's purposeful. You've got a list of passages there. Those are all good passages. But I think the note should say number 14 there. There's a little typo. Hosea and Gomer is the example of course, that's in Hosea. Three times the prophet was told to love his wife. Hosea purchased her back for 15 pieces of silver. Half the worth of an average slave. Or 10 bushels of cattle feed. One and a half omers of barley. Which is considered as food for the very poorest of people. She didn't deserve his love. Certainly the story demonstrates she did not deserve his love. But what? He went and he bought her back from prostitution and cared for her and he loved her. That's an important story. And number 15, you'll just need to add this one. How about God's love? In Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. So there's a lot of degrees of love that we can show when we think about love. What about, we mentioned it a minute ago, it says that we're supposed to love our wives as our own body. Right? It's listed there in the notes. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29. That's an important text to think about. But I think these two words... Sometimes we skip over them and we're not sure what they mean. Let me give you a clear definition for both of them. So that you can help those that you counsel think carefully. What does it mean to nourish and cherish? Let's start with cherish. Cherish means to warm. It reflects a gentle heart. What are ways that we can cherish? I think we can talk about that in terms of We're careful in our words, our tones. We're careful when we talk to her. When we cherish her, we protect her spiritually. We protect her emotionally and we protect her physically. That could look like assisting with the chores. Doing something she doesn't anticipate. There's... I would suggest this, and, and I'm not the best, I'm not perfect at it. None of these, are, I'm 
I don't say I'm perfect at any of them. But if there's something that she typically does, then do it. Try to get ahead of her. See if you can outdo her in love. Most men have no hope about doing her in love. Right? It's just, that's the reality. I mean, just last night I saw that the dishes were full of, the sinks were full of the supper's dishes. And we had had something with our son. Our son was in a choir concert. So we came home and the dishes were still there. And so I thought, she's either going to have to wash those or I could wash them. So I started getting the water ready, got the soap, all that stuff. Started washing dishes. But my daughter came with her baby. It's our first grandbaby. And so our daughter said, well, dad, you're going to Texas and we're kind of getting tired. So if you want to see the baby, you need to hold the baby now because we're going to be heading off and it's time for the baby to go to sleep. Well, I'm in the middle of this good deed, right? I've got dishwater hands. What kind of husband has dishwater hands? And, and so she came over and she said, hey, thanks for doing the dishes, but let me do the dishes because you're going to go on a trip and that way you can see the baby. Right? So you assist where you can with chores. You share life concerns. You show appreciation. I try to find, just create ways to say thank you. Right? To look for ways. So, cherish. I think cherish, back in the country, used to say, you're the apple of my eye. Right? That's cherish. You're my girl. A wife, if I've often said, if you were to say to my wife, hey, I think your husband, in fact, let me give you a quick story. I have a twin brother. We're identical. Uh, we pastor in the same church. He's on our elder team. We live across the fence from each other. Um, we have about 30 acres and our kids have just loved it for years. Um, so we've, we've lived together, we love each other, our wives are good friends, our kids always hang out. And, and so we have been places before, and Craig and I have been there together, where somebody came up to us and said, I am so glad to see you have a twin. And I remember one particular time that someone looked at my brother and said, his wife was there, so was my wife, Kelly. And they looked at Carla and said, I saw evidently his twin brother the other day with his wife and I thought for sure Craig was having an affair. I am so glad to, so glad to see you. So are we, right? That's, uh, so here's the deal. Uh, in fact, my wife one time, I was, a, I worked at Bass Pro all the way through seminary. An undergraduate and the world headquarters are in Springfield. And so I was a full-time employee when it was time for me to leave there. I'd been there six years. I had, I had an entire team. I had worked my way even as a student into some responsibility. I had a team and it's full of girls. And so they said on my last day there, they said, well, we want to take you to lunch. So I call my wife. Hey, uh, these girls want to take me to lunch. There's a whole handful of them. And so we're sitting at Applebee's. We're at a table. The girls are all around. I'm on the edge. We're probably in our early 20s at that point, 24, 25. And I'm a pastor. I've I've started working at a local church, so I'm a pastor as well. Well, somebody sat down right beside us from our church. And they saw me, and so they started talking to me. They just saw a bunch of, they didn't pay attention to who I was sitting with. 
And so they started talking to me and they looked up to say something to Kelly, but Kelly wasn't beside me. It was some other woman. Right? And you could just see the shock all over his face. Like, how could you be out with this other woman? Well, Kelly knew about it. She thought it was a great idea to go spend some time, say goodbye to these people. Here's the, here's the point I'm making with those two stories. And I'm just giving you the stories to say I've lived this. If someone were to say to your wife, and I tell my counselees this, if someone were to say to your wife, I think your husband is having an affair, if you cherish well, your wife's first response should be, I don't think so. But I certainly can ask him what you're talking about. Right? You've said something I need to ask about, but there's no way you're telling the truth. Why? Because she's well-cherished. Right? I think that's what we have to teach our counselees. So nourish, that's the other one. Nourish, what does nourish mean? It means to provide everything necessary to grow. To provide everything necessary to grow. To, no price is too great if there's a need. If the need is great, you do for your spouse what you would do for yourself. Overdo for your spouse what you would do for yourself. Listen, I do so much counseling. It just, and I don't mean to be ungodly here, but it ticks me off when guys come in and say, well, she gets 50, when we're working through budget, she gets $50 a week to spend and, and I don't have anything. So we ought to be 25 each. I want to take him out back and say, let me show you what you need. Right? (laughs) Why could you, how could a man be so selfish to say it all has to be 50-50? No, it can be 100-0. What are you talking about? She should know that you will provide her everything you need for her. This 50-50 stuff, uh, that can get me frustrated quickly. Because she should know that you are committed to nourishing her. Now, we were married and we lived in Missouri. We still live in Missouri, but my wife is a Texan. So she's from out in West Texas. And she was, she was homesick when we first got married. As beautiful as, te- as, beautiful as the dirt is in Lubbock, <laughs> um, she missed it. Uh, the beautiful trees in Missouri weren't enough. And so I said to her, she, we were both working. I was working at a church, uh, working at Bass Pro and then a church, and she was working. She was a manager at Fantastic Sam's and cut hair. And our cosmetologist, cut hair doesn't sound right. So I said to her, you know what? Anytime you want to go home, you just need to tell me. Right? We just need a planet. But the answer is yes. Right? So I'm, you don't have to ask and wonder, is it okay if I go home? The answer is always yes. We just need to work it out. Right? Because there's always details. There may be a detail that would keep you from doing it, but that is not our intention. You need to know the answer is yes. To be honest with you, she never asked. Once she had permission to do it, Anytime she knew it would be our goal. Now, that was when she was homesick. In her, in our last several years, her mom's had several needs and she would, she sometimes says, Hey, I need to go home. 
She never says that with a question mark of, uh, is this okay? No. She realizes, so let's just get it worked out. Why? Because the money will be there. You say, well, do you have lots of money? No, but it'll be there. Why? Because I can have zero and she can have more. Right? It's part of nourishing. That's a financial way of doing it. I've always told her, I want you to buy, we've talked about Amazon earlier. I told her, I want, she loves to read. And I said to her, you never have to ask to buy a book. Any book you want, you always, you're, you have carte blanche permission to buy books. Because if you read it, it'll provide what you're, whatever it is you're wanting to learn about or be encouraged in, it'll provide it for you. So she knows. She doesn't, I, we have book stuff delivered off and on all the time. I don't know what's in them. Why? Because she buys them. That's fine. That's a, a physical way for me to nourish her, right? To give her what she needs. Same thing with life groups at church. We've had four children. Uh, actually had five. Our first daughter died when she was very young. And I've always said to my wife, you shouldn't, when it is life group time, you don't have to wonder, will he find some way for me to get there? The answer is yes. Why? Because you need to be in life group. You need the interaction with other ladies. You need that opportunity. So when it's church time, you better believe we're going to be there. We're going to do what's necessary to help you grow. So that's nourishing. Jesus said, the Bible says, we should say, to love your wife as you love your own body. And certainly we nourish and cherish our own bodies. And that's what he's saying we need to do with our spouse. What else? We need to love her. And doing that is to overcome bitterness or the tendency toward bitterness. Husbands, love your wives, and it says in Colossians 3.19, and do not be bitter toward them. So love your wife. Be careful with bitterness. How about number three is the word leader. Number three is the word leader. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands, in everything. We're talking about headship when we talk about this. Leadership is not a dictatorship. But it's as a manager. Right? The goal is management. The goal is to help provide leadership in terms of a way to help move everything forward. A counselee years ago wrote this. This is how she perceived her home. In our home, the husband's word is law. In our home, he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't feel like doing. In our home, he should not be asked to do anything by his wife. In our home, his responsibilities consist of going to work and paying bills. In our home, he should not be asked to do anything or go anywhere. In our home, he should not buy anything or fix anything or help the wife with anything. In our home, the wife should fix anything that's broken or needs fixed. In our home, she should not go or do anything outside of a household responsibilities. In our home, she should not use the telephone when he is home. In our home, nor be on the telephone when he's trying to call her. In our home, she should do all the gift buying for family and friends. In our home, she should never be tired or ill or busy. 
In our home, she should take the blame for anything that goes wrong. In our home, she should never notice when she's sinned against. In our home, she should keep house orderly and all the laundry and mending done. In our home, she should have delicious snacks available at all times. In our home, she should have meals ready when the husband's ready, but not expect him to tell her when that is. In our home, she should make all sexual overtures, but only when he's in the mood. That's a real letter. Right, that's the opposite of leadership. Right, it's not a dictatorship, but it's a manager serving his wife like Christ and the church. Right, there's a couple of things here, like the parable of the laborers. In Matthew 20, the laborer makes decisions throughout his day, and he makes decisions that best benefits the work that has to be done. As a model of self-control. I think that is an important. Again that's also important. That the husband leads. But he does it. As someone who has self-control. I've recently been counseling a couple. And and, uh, in the world system. There's no way to say anything other than that. She's been abused by her husband's leadership. If you were using the world's terminology. And as I listened to them tell their story. And he was just visibly getting more and more angry. As she told the story. I eventually just said. I said to her. I said why don't you take a break. Go on out. There's some drinks out there. Get a drink. Take a few minutes. And shut the door behind you. Why? Because we needed to have a session. Listen, you don't talk to your wife. You don't act this way. And it was harsh. I had a counselor sitting in, a a counselor in training. And he said, Pastor, I've never heard you talk like that before. I've never seen that spirit. Well, that's because it's my responsibility as a leader of the church to set the standard for the way this guy needs to think about loving his wife. And you have to use self-control. I don't care how many times she hits you. I don't care what she says to you. Right? You still have to have self-control. Right? Self-control in the Bible includes gentleness. We must be gentle. Gentility. Jesus and Moses are known by their gentility. And every husband in your church should be known as being gentle. A man's man, but a gentle man. Right, So a model of self-control. A model of being a servant. Certainly Jesus was. Notice the next line. The test of your servanthood is how you respond when you're treated like one. I think that's a great line. My brother, I told you about him earlier. He has a doctorate in education and, and is the superintendent of our school system. The su- superintendent of learning. And... He was at, he used in his past life while he was going through school and grad school and all those things, uh, he and his wife did catering and they are incredible at it. They're beautiful, they're wonderful cooks and they can, they can cater like none other. It's just fantastic. Well, this particular event, this friend of his, uh, this friend of ours needed somebody to cater and Craig said, well, I'll help. I'm happy to help. And he does a good job. It was a good idea. So let's let Craig help. 
But he was catering a bunch of pastors. Which that's not a bad thing. Uh, this particular event was at a church type setting. And pastors were the ones he was catering. They don't know who he is at all. They don't know what he's done. All they know is he's a guy in a white shirt and black pants. And black shoes. And he's serving them food. And one of them, when he wanted something, started snapping his fingers at Craig. And Craig said, I immediately was full of anger. And the first thought I had in my mind was, you don't know who I am. Right? I have more education than you. And all that whole line of stuff. He says, but then I remembered... But the test of servanthood, right? Why was he there? He wasn't even making money. He was there simply to serve these people because he knew they were pastors and to help his friend. And so he had to say, I had to repent to realize the test of a servant is when you're treated like one. And I was being treated like one and I failed that test initially. Right? So I think that's important as husbands. We need to serve. Notice there's, a, there's this little chart there. right? You could say, well, if children are bickering in front of the TV or whatever, what does a selfish leader do versus a servant leader? Right? A servant leader probably isn't going to say, shut up so I can hear the TV. A selfish leader may. A selfish leader may say, no, we're watching what I want to watch. Right? A selfish leader may do lots of stuff. In that setting. Versus a servant leader. Who may say. You know what my children seem to be struggling. Maybe I ought to take them outside. And let's ride a bike. Or walk down the road. Or walk down a. Right a servant leader may do a number of things. Or a decision to buy a new car. I've not always been wise here. When we were young. We had a lot more money. Before we had children. And cars were a lot cheaper. I'd buy my wife. I remember one time driving down the road. I was in an Isuzu Trooper. And I pulled up to a stop sign. And my wife pulled up to a stop sign. And I waved at her. She'd never seen it before. We owned it. Right? I, somebody offered it to me. I said, that looks like a great deal. I bought it on the spot. I used to buy and sell cars all the time. If they were within a 1000 or $2, you could make money quick. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I don't do that anymore. I was young and unwise. I remember bringing home a boat one time. Say, hey, look at our new boat. <laughs> That's. <laughs> she doesn't even like fishing. So. <laughs> but I did not let her have a new crock pot. How does that work? No, anyway, <laughs> that's just a joke. The point is, you understand selfish leader versus servant leader, right? Those are unwise decisions. Number five, in decision making, the husband doesn't have to make all the decisions. In fact, an unwise husband does. You need the wife's, not just help, but you need her voice. Leadership is positive, right? She needs to be a positive pace setter. A husband does, pardon me. Taking the initiative spiritually, intentionally. Be intentional about seeking to grow spiritually. Keep your word. 
be a model of self-control. I've already mentioned that briefly. But in all angers, in all areas, pardon me, including your anger and your habits. Right? In every way. Proverbs 28, 25 verse 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Right? A husband. I've often quoted that verse to husbands and to children. Titus 2, 11 or 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared to bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Where do we begin that? We begin that in our homes. Second Peter 1, 5 through 8. Right, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, knowledge, knowledge, what? Self-control. That is our word for gentleness. And he says, if these things are yours and abound and keep increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So we want to... Be a model of self-control. What else? Be a model of a servant. You want to lead your wife as Christ leads the church. It's fascinating. Ephesians 5.23 tells us to be the leader like Christ. But, pardon me, it says she should follow as she follows Christ. And you say, well, how does she follow Christ? And Philippians 2 describes how, she, how Christ led. I tell guys when I do their counseling, right, if life is a race and your wife is following you in that race, and let's call it a track, right, you can, you're, because life is difficult, occasionally you're going to put a hurdle there. Maybe not even intentionally. You don't have a choice, but there's hurdles that she's going to have to jump and you're going to be the one that puts them there. But it doesn't have to be a steeplechase. And it certainly doesn't have to be a mutter. All of those are races. And the husband, I, I, submission is the hardest job in the home. But the husband doesn't have to make it harder. So we want to lead like Christ leads. Christ served the church's best interest with the church's best interest in mind. All right, let's wrap up then with some summary thoughts. I think all the blanks are filled in here. Let me just read through kind of what we've said. What do we want to do, men? We want to focus on loving and serving your wife. We want to be goal-oriented in our leadership. Set the example of what it means to have self-control. Solve problems. Be a good teacher. Live joyfully with your wife. Be the spiritual leader. Doesn't mean that you know more than she does, but it means that you take initiative, right? How do you do this in practical terms? Again, these are just, we've talked a lot. These are just some very practical ways. Use loving words. I tell guys that all the time. I tell you, just like a wife or just like some, a cook would season a meal, just drop in loving words, right? Just season your discussion. Try to meet her needs, her physical, emotional, intellectual, social needs, whatever those are, her desires. Protect her, not just physically, but in every way. Help with the chores and the responsibilities. 
My wife wanted a pool for our children. It takes a little work to keep a pool up. Especially if you live in Missouri in the middle of trees. Especially this time of year. Many nights I've been out after the sun's gone down. With the pool light on so I could clean it. Why? Because if I don't, she's going to have to. Would she? Yes. Would she do it without complaining? Probably. But it's a way that I can help. And there's many of those. Sacrifice for her. Again, when these guys say, well, it's got to be even. Get out of here with that. Allow her to share your life. Right? One practical ways, guys, you can do that is by sharing a calendar. Right? With all the phone technologies, you can use the exact same calendar for both of you. That always keeps her in the loop. Even if you forget to tell her if it's on your calendar, just don't forget to put it in your calendar. Refuse to compare her unfavorably to others. Boy, did you see the way she kept her house? Did you see this or that? Demonstrating that next to God, she is first place. Tenderness, respect, politeness, courtesy. All of those things. Treat her as valuable. We've talked about that. Express appreciation and praise generously and in large doses. And as we said, IOU, interview, observe, and understand. A lot for a guy to do. But by God's grace, he sustains us to do it. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we try to help those that we serve. Uh, I've said a few things with a smile, but you know my heart is burdened over these things. My own sin, I know I can do better. I want to be like Christ in my own love. That's true for my counselees. That's true for those that say some of the things that I've made fun of in terms of the 50-50. Lord, it's a burden. It, it isn't easy to love well. But our wives are given to us no less specific than Eve was given to Adam. And Lord, that deserves the very best we can. Please help us. Personally, please help us to do that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.